This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 391, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. It's not that easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. When I think it could be so much nicer. Being red, yellow, or gold, or something much more colorful like that. 
Hello, welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 391. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and joining me is Paul Montgomery. Hello. And sitting in for a wayward Josh Flanagan is David Campo. Howdy. Dave is the co-host uh, with Paul of the Fuzzy Typewriter podcast, which makes me wonder who is guest starring on whose show. <laughs> <laughs> this is exciting. I've, I've, been, I've been waiting for this to happen, and I'm, I'm so excited awesome. to have you on the show, man. So, so Dave and Paul do the Fuzzy <laughs> Typewriter podcast, and Dave also just did a series of articles for our fanboy uh, chronicling his experience as a small uh, indie publisher. So Dave also is a comic creator as well. So welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thank you guys for having me. And the we are iFanboy.com. We like comics. We read comics. We can read a bunch of comics. This week I read very few comics. One of us <laughs> picks the best book, writes about the po- website we talk about the podcast, along with other books of the week and other topics of interest. It's lots of fun, assuming half the hosts aren't extremely tired. <laughs> Before we get to the show, quick reminder and a warning. This is a review show, so there'll be spoilers. And you'll find... Uh, did anything happen? Oh, yeah. Age of Ultron. We'll talk about that. Uh, there'll be spoilers, so if you haven't read the books, pause and come back later. You'll be much happier and much less uh, excitable in your life. Everyone needs to calm down, is how I feel right now. It could be because I'm exhausted. <laughs> this week, Paul had to pick. Take it away, Paul. I did. I did. Um, and, you know, talking about, like, things happening and then, you know, there's other books that are more incidental. I kind of picked an incidental book this week and very purposefully. Um, I, not that I was looking for something like that, but it, it just turned out that all this heady stuff with Infinity and everything and Uncanny Avengers, which I really enjoyed, but just really big concepts and everything. I chose uh, Indestructible Hulk number nine, which is just sort of a like a buddy romp. And there's uh, there's taxi surfing. <laughs> there's, you know, like an almost barroom brawl that just turns into a singularity event. There's the Ajons Byzantine, one of my, my, my favorite terrorist group. Well, if you have to have one, they're the one. At least in the Marvel Universe, yeah. Maybe my favorite overall terrorist group. Uh, they're great. I think that's a, I think that's a Mark Wade invention. Well, you're, I think you're bearing the lead here, which is that this is Mark Wade's less celebrated book. He has Daredevil, which everybody loves. It won a bunch of Eisners last year. I think anything else would just be, it would be, you know, the also ran uh, next so to Daredevil, which in is this just... this issue, we, we have the start of a Daredevil Hulk team-up story. It's not a crossover yeah. as far as I can tell. It's not crossing over to Daredevil, mm-hmm. which is fine. No. It's just Daredevil shows up in Hulk. And so you've got Mark Wade writing his extremely popular character in this book that's also very good. We've picked it two times out of nine. It's tons of fun, and, it, and I think more people should be reading it. You know. Here's here's the question for you. Mm-hmm. When has Daredevil ever been the breath of fresh air for a book, you know? Like <laughs> because he's he's fun and fancy free in this book and because compared to the Hulk at least, he's he's happy go lucky. But it's not you know, it's not all, you know, fun and games. They also have to track down this missing singularity gun. Right. Uh, that's been stolen from this the ship. And um, this is all part of Hulk's work, uh, Banner's work for uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. Banner has agreed to uh, be a field operative as the Hulk for Maria Hill. In return, he gets uh, this, this amazing, lavish science lab where he can work on fixing his image, really. Like, he wants to do good, make good for humanity and do all the things that, you know, Reed Richards and Tony Stark have done, uh, except right. he's been, you know, he's been sidelined by turning into a big green rage monster. <laughs> yeah, he has, a, he has a temper problem. Yeah, he has and, a, he has a this, temper problem. So this I like is, the way... You know, Mark Wade has shifted it in this series that, you know, he treats Hulk as a chronic condition. And so rather than wasting all his time, you know, forming the Hulk buster, whatever, you know, trying to figure out how to separate himself from the Hulk, you know, it's just what can I do in the meantime? And then I really like the way he brings Daredevil into this book, um, as you alluded to. There's almost a sense that he's sort of a sponsor. There's a yeah. thing like, hey, I'm going to be in your I'm going to be in your neighborhood. And I thought we could do a 
procedural spot check, I think is the term he uses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, we're, we're going to check to see if you're too angry, if a shield's treating you well, if you can handle this. And uh, I thought that was a very clever way. I think Mark Wade, more than probably most comic writers, has a great way of stripping down the characters to their core. But then beyond that, he figures out a way to create the situation that brings them both together, which is, you know, what you're talking about. Yeah, here. it's not it's not quite a character like deconstruction or anything like that, but it's, it's no. um, purification. Yeah, but it's yes. also but it's also surprising. Like he's yeah. he's not breaking them down into like archetypes. It's like that like I never would and I don't know like cuz I I haven't read a lot of Hulk over the years. I don't know if there's a tradition of the Hulk teaming up with Daredevil or anything like that, but it just it feels so natural, but it's not something that I would have thought of right off the bat. Like those two being being friends. Right. But it makes sense. Hulk needs a lawyer. He creates a lot of property damage. <laughs> so uh, so Matt Murdock would be able to help out and Matt is a great listener. So he'd be able to to get through all that and be able to talk the Hulk down, which he does in this issue. And I, I actually – I kind of thought that this issue maybe was heading towards the Hulk murdering. He almost murdered one of the bad guys and Daredevil was you know, uh, over off to the side for a minute. And I thought, oh, no, Daredevil's not going to be there to stop him. And now he's going to have to be like his – you know his trial lawyer, like the like the Hulk <laughs> murdered someone, and and Daredevil has to uh, step in. But uh, luckily, it's 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 a little it's a little different than that. Uh, well, within that, Paul, I think there's something really interesting in this issue, and I, I have a feeling it's going to play out next time. But uh, you guys probably picked up on this too. Did you notice like there's a significant portion at the beginning where Daredevil calms the Hulk down, as you said, yeah. and he sort of says to Maria Hill, you know, well, he's just responding to the tone of voice. He, he, you know, Banner trusts me, so therefore, you know, this is cutting through that noise. So Mark Wade has a great ability to do this in, in, in some of these books, and he did, did it in Daredevil as well, where he gives us something that's really kind of nice, and then he takes it away. Because I got the sense when Hulk faces down that sonic weapon that, mm-hmm. that Daredevil can't really face down, that he's going deaf. And there's a point at the end where he says, oh, my God, the Hulk can't hear me. And I thought, wow, what a great place to put your characters as a writer. Like, yeah. you had one way to calm the Hulk down, which was a tone of voice. Now we're going to remove that from the equation. <laughs> what do you do? And so I have a feeling that's going to play out in a really interesting way. And, and so, you know, I think this builds really nicely. I'm very curious to see where, where it goes. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mateo Scalera on art. Um, yeah, you missed out on him when he did Secret Avengers towards the end of Remender's Run, which was the first time I think I remember noticing him and going, "Oh wow!" Yeah, um, I was but- <laughs> I was a little I was a little scattered after after Gabe left that book, but then um, Gabriel Hardman. But um, uh, I, I've seen him a lot in uh, our you know best panels and our uh, weekly sketch up feature, and he's just amazing and uh, a really great fit for both the Hulk and Daredevil. He's he, able he'd to be capture fine staying on this book. He would be yeah. yeah. He has a and great I mean, sense of energy and dynamism, which you need for exactly. the Hulk, obviously. You know, there's a couple of great uh, – he also does movement very well, uh, mm-hmm. looking at the taxi surfing scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. And you, can, you get a sense of movement in a static image, which is sometimes difficult. There's a car coming at you. And it's just – Hulk is about big action and, and, and movement, and that you need an artist who can convey that. He does a lot of circular panels within the square panel, sort of circular um, way the panels are laid out within the square you know, boxes and – Mm-hmm. Really, especially with a sonic gun and things like that, but it really does create the sense of dynamic movement which you need. And is wonderful. does a great does a great Hell's Kitchen. That's really nice. Uh, I don't know if it you know reflects modern Clinton, but no. um, it looks like Marvel <laughs> Hell's Kitchen. Marvel Hell's, Hell's Kitchen, Kitchen is stuck in the eighties forever, <laughs> which is fine. That, that's yeah, yeah. you know sort of totally the way fine. it should be. But no, that's 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 fantastic. And then that that page that we ran in Best Panels this week, where the Hulk comes in to the bar behind. Uh, Daredevil and Daredevil, you know, he eases on in this bar. He's he's set up before he goes in that these guys are just going to pull their weapons on me and shoot. 
as soon as I go in. But he walks in casually because he knows that he's got a Hulk behind him. <laughs> and it's a fantastic <laughs> it's a great page. Storytelling. Yeah. And you know, that's that's it's one thing to write that, but I think, you know, Scalera really pulls it off in the art. It's really funny. It's you know, it's tense yeah. too. It's great. It reminds me a bit of Sean Murphy. Did you guys yes. get that vibe? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was actually there was a he did a, a, a sketch of um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and we ran that in and uh, sketch up. And I thought it was Sean Murphy, and I was like, "Whoa, who's this guy?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, right. I, I kind of liken him. He's a little bit like like Sean Murphy, a little bit like Declan Shalvey, mm-hmm. and then you know does it does his own thing too. So uh, really, really strong. And if you're a Baron Zemo fan, there's a great final page reveal of the villain of the story. Somebody, somebody pointed out on the comics page for this book that like he's drinking wine, mm-hmm. and like he's got his mask down. So is he like is he lifting his mask every time he drinks the wine? I thought that was kind of funny. He's got a, he needs a little like straw hole for the in the mask. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, the juice box, you know. Well, the and, mask uh, is very. But I think that, but that totally works for Baron Zemo, you know. Like yeah. so, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm I'm excited to see Wade take on Baron Zemo. It's gonna be great. Wonder Woman 21 this week. I really enjoy this book, but I think when Cliff Chang is on it, it's really when it elevates ire. And also, I love the yeah. idea that they're integrating into the God and Myth storyline, the New Gods. We've had Orion for a while, and there's been New God stuff throughout some of the other books, but from, from now, they're really going for it now. I mean, this issue ends with the boom tube trip to, to uh, you know, New Genesis. New Genesis and meeting High Father. So, I, you know, it's a great juxtaposition of the old Greek gods and the new gods, and that the new gods are supposed to replace the old gods, in, you know, in the story, you know, in the general sort of mythology of this universe anyway. So it's nice to see them sort of run up against each other. I don't think I've seen that before, ever. Yeah, this is the this is the thread that I've sort of been clinging on to in this book, because I'm getting a little fatigued with the, with the Greek pantheon stuff. Mm-hmm. There's really interesting ideas, but it's sort of lost a little bit of its luster for me. I'm just not as invested in in those characters, but I really love the depiction of Wonder Woman. I love Orion too, you know, and calling her legs throughout this issue, and, <laughs> and just the just the banter between them was was really and great. Has he ever called his little rocket thing that he rides around on baby before this? I can't or is imagine. That new? <laughs> there was. That was kind of interesting, and he, and and she thinks he he's calling her babies on yeah, the, your yeah. legs, <laughs> you <know>? oh, your <laughs> legs, making yeah. it a very deliberate nickname. You know, <laughs> that's uh, you usually think of Orion being like so you know ultra serious, right? And you know, I think this is this is fun. He's this more is, brash. Yeah, I I agree with you, Paul, in that uh, a little bit of this lost its luster, in that I think the first year of the book was really strong in sort of engaging us in this new variation on the Greek pantheon. And then I think that's it, it, what we're getting is that slow buildup to the to, to the new gods clashing with the old. And so that's where it's starting to become more fun the more we interact with them. Um, I, High Father was a little bit different than I expected. Um, I'm used to the kind of the, the shepherd's crook kind of high father. <laughs> right, right. The guy's a little more militaristic. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like. It looks a little bit like uh, like New Krypton or something, the New Genesis. But, but it's only, we only saw like one, one page, right? One angle. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, but I'm, I'm excited for the for the next issue to see, see more in New Genesis because I, I love that stuff. Do you guys feel like Cliff Chang's artwork is changing at all? I felt, and I'm reading it digitally now, mm-hmm. and I, so maybe I'm focused more on the art, but I felt like in some panels it's a little rougher, but there's something, and maybe it's the way it's constructed, almost Kyle Bakery. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's changing a little bit, and I like it in a good way, I should say. I think, I don't know. I think it's different than when he first sort of broke out on Green Arrow. Uh, he has gotten a little rougher style, a little less clean, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still, you know, undeniably Cliff Chang, which is wonderful. Yeah. He, he does great. There's yeah. a panel, again, for the best panels feature where Wonder Woman grabs guy flips him over and crashes into his you know down in, the, in his head and it was just a wonderful you know three piece action sequence in one panel um he does a really great job with that stuff yeah yeah, yeah i can see i can see the kyle baker thing i don't know where that started though you know i don't, I don't know, know if that's always been there and just you know got augmented over time or what but uh 
I, I definitely see your point. Uncanny Avengers number nine. Lots of stuff going on. And Remender kind of talking to, uh, talking to us a bit. In <laughs> There's two a lot of debate in this book, right? Two different places. And I th- Connor mentioned this to me on, on Instant Message, though. It looks, it, you know, it looks like there's a little fourth wall breaking in Uncanny Avengers. And I thought it was just the Wonder Man scene where he turns to us and sort of gives a wink. <laughs> yeah. But then later on, there's a bit of a confrontation between Rogue and Scarlet Witch. And uh, a little bit of uh, the conversation going on online uh, a few months back. Well, for one thing, he uses the Game of Thrones method of dropping the exposition in the middle of something very exciting happening. So there, sex position in Game of right. Thrones. It's not exactly sex position, nah. but but it's it's basically danger room this position where they're they're in there fighting and it's so climactic in a different way. They're not just standing around, a, you know, the conference table debating. They're fighting sure. this classic Spider-Man villain, which I loved uh, in the danger room. Because yeah. if you were in the danger room, you would fight whoever the hell you wanted to fight. You don't have to fight your villains. You can decide today we're going to fight Spider-Man's villains. Right. <laughs> but you know, Remender caught a lot of flack for his Havoc speech where he said I'm a person first and a mutant second and this seems to be sort of his rebuttal to that which I've always been a supporter of that scene and I thought it was a great moment I think you know his rebuttal makes a lot of sense I got what he was what he was saying in that instance but I was like whoa, whoa people are going to react to this I, I could tell just reading it because it's such a I don't know such a bald statement coming from a you know a beloved character and and it's you know, mutants is kind of kind of a touchy thing. You know, talking about uh, persecution and um, they don't seem to be I, reacting to this as much as they did the original statement, which says a lot about you know the, the nuanced response doesn't get quite to play as the uh, polemic, but that's just what happens. Do you uh, think those people just like dropped it? Like, no, I'm no not gonna, I, just, you know, I think you know when you when you when you explain yourself, you don't tend to get the play you do when you. Is. Yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm kind of not tired of it. But there's a lot of Captain America, Wolverine clashing going on in all the books they appear in. Yeah, which, yeah, which is getting kind of repetitive a little bit, but I do like the fact that Wolverine is basically you know the chickens are coming home to roost from the Uncanny X Force storyline in which he killed Kid Apocalypse. So I like that that thread's continuing on. Yeah, there's definitely a through line from the the Remender stuff from like you said from Uncanny X Force, and I like that. I think I like a lot of what they're building to, and I like that there's this schism between the team. You know, it is sort of a team forced together. I felt like this issue, there's just a lot of exposition. Like you said, it, it's set in really nice locations, but you you start with, I think, a kind of nice conversation. I actually like the relationship between Wonder Man and Wolverine. I kind of want to see more of Pacifist yeah. uh, at Hollywood Simon Williams. I want him to have like a raw food diet and kind of just, and just <laughs> like completely opposite of Logan, right? I, I can see a buddy comedy with the two of those. Although that's totally the day was pretty raw that he was <laughs> yeah, that right. Wolverine was eating. He was like, whoa, what cut is that? It's right. really but that's bloody. Wolverine, right? Like he just sheared that <laughs> off like outside on the ground. Like they have some, I don't know, something roaming around out there. <laughs> but for me, then you got into the villains sort of explaining a lot of their plan and that's a pretty dense. I mean, it's again, really interesting to look at. I love the character designs, but it's pretty dense. And then you get more of the debate and the debate. And, you know, I do appreciate that it's the schism between these two groups. It, it kind of reminds me of what we're seeing on the current season of Mad Men, where you have two groups of people from different companies put together into one company and, and sort of the, uh, you know, they have to figure out how to work together. Yeah. And I, I just, they need to sort of figure out a way to resolve that soon and and really build up the, the action and the dramatic tension and stuff. Because this starts to uh, you know what i mean <laughs> and and given and given that the conflict is so like kind of really cerebral ideas and like really yeah. kind of abstract stuff with the you know mm-hmm. apocalypse twins and everything so it's kind of a lot in one issue and if it was you know spread out a little bit more maybe yeah. i don't i don't know though but it's and and it's beautiful it's still beautiful is the return yeah. of the century akin to the return of duck phillips <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if anything Perhaps. is akin to the return of Doug Phillips. That's always a pleasure. Uh, so we end with the four horsemen of death returning as their, the, the, the apocalypse is acolytes. And we have got the century and we have Dokken and we have Banshee and we have the Wonder Man's brother's name I always forget. So it'll be fun to see them get beat up again and killed. What the hell is that guy's name? I always forget. It's like Harpoon or something. No, it's not. Uh, something like Reaper? that. Something, similar, something like that, yeah. Ultimate Comic Spider-Man 24. Cloak and Dagger make their, uh, I guess, their ultimate debut. And I really like Dave Marquez a lot on this book. Yes, In the beginning, absolutely. I was always sad when Sarah Pacelli didn't draw it, and he did, even though he's a good artist. But now I really feel like he can just stay on the book. I like Marquez wherever he goes. He can yeah. do whatever he wants. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he's, that, he's like the guy that you're never disappointed to see that he's the, you know, the fill-in. And... You don't think about it. It's just a great-looking comic. So we got a really quick, really succinct origin story for Cloak and Dagger, which is pretty cool. I kind of like how that is told. It's simple enough. You know, we get it all in one issue, and we get parallel action to what's going on at the restaurant. And Arnim Zola's sweet hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> that was great. It's pretty sweet. I forgot it's, about that. It's, it's like a giant mushroom yeah. on his head. It's <laughs> got this, like, Phil Spector thing going yeah. on. I don't know. Crazy, crazy wig Phil Spector look. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough Miles' dad in this issue for my liking. Yeah. Need some more Miles' mm-hmm. dad. He's great. Fantastic character. And we got a great moment with, uh, with Gwen slapping Miles in the face for not being a hero when he could be. That was um, great. It's all yeah. about great responsibility. And uh, I, I really do love this thing that Bendis is able to do where you have a new Spider-Man, but he's not the only Spider-Man that there's ever been. He, mm-hmm. There is... A precedent and all of this stuff is like pressure put upon him and so he's got a, he's, he also has to he doesn't just have to live up to these great powers or you know the ghost of uncle ben or anything he's got to live up to like the ghost of uncle ben by way of the ghost of peter parker right um, and, ghosts, all, and all his ghosts, living yeah. friends yeah a lot of ghosts uh, you know a lot of skeletons and that was and it's similar to you know peter and and uncle ben you know that drive him into action you know the ghost of peter sort of drives him into action but then the death of his mother is really what's shaken him to the core and that's sort of you know that that that's the sort of thing that we're dealing with right now is okay you know with great power comes great responsibility but look at when people are dying around you can you really overcome that and and he's really pressing on that conflict and i like you're really illustrating it by having other heroes and villains battling around you and sort of like, you know, are you going to put it on? Are you going to put on the costume? It's a great conflict. You know, you can do it. You know, what stops you from doing it? And, you know, I think that's, I think that's really smart. I like the way they're carrying forward Miles' conflict. The most important thing is that he's just not Peter Parker. You know, he's a different, yeah. he's a different guy. He, hasn't, he doesn't jump right into the adventure of it like Peter did. Even if Peter was terrified, you know, he covered that with his jokes, but he still did it. You know, Miles is sort of, still sort of feeling mm-hmm. this out, and it's an interesting dynamic to play. You know, and we'll talk about the possible future of this book later in the show, but it's interesting while it's, while it's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Animal Man 21. I feel like Animal Man's bounced back in the last three issues. Yeah, since, yeah. I, think I, since Rot, I agree. Since, since Rot World. I was almost going to drop this book. I yeah. actually was ready. This was going to be the one that I wasn't going to pick up, but I was hearing interesting things, and so I picked it up, and I'm actually glad I did. I, I liked it. It's got the social um, media, got the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about Twitter for a second. This is the first time yeah. I've seen it used successfully in a book. I think the last time I saw it used this much was in that Joe Casey Japanese Heroes book, which was... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. he, he didn't use it correctly because he just doesn't use Twitter, uh, whereas Jeff, <laughs> right. Jeff, Jeff Lemire does, and so he, he really sort of gets the, the bizarre banality of it. Yeah. I would say the, the only comparable thing would be when they riffed on uh, Tumblr in, uh, right. in uh, Young Avengers, uh, right. the current run. 
Uh, right, but I think this, this is throughout the story and sort of adds to the, yeah, yeah, the no, idea yeah. that he's this superhero celebrity actor who people on Twitter were obsessed with and so sort of narrating his adventures, uh, the, you know, the, the, the rumors that are completely false and the speculations and the, the, the twit pics and, of this, this, you know, it just, I liked it really sort of captured the current zeitgeist of how it's used with celebrity. Um, Absolutely. It really impacts the story, yeah. right? I mean, because what happens is he decides, okay, he, he's wallowing in, you know, his grief and everything and, and, and his agent's trying to get him back and he, and he, he you know, to go to an award show or something Typical like that. Typical agent right? trying to capitalize yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the heat around Animal Man. And, and yet he's like, kid. <laughs> and so he decides, I got to go do some superheroing. And, uh, and so in doing so, he takes flight into Los Angeles and immediately Twitter lights up. And, and you imagine that that's how it does happen. And we, we've seen that in, in our modern society when something happens, it, you know, it ripples across Twitter. And so you have people following. And I love it. There's like, oh, they're just filming a movie. Oh, no, he's actually back in action, you know. <laughs> and, and it actually impacts the story because people are tracking him and they're wondering what's going on. And so when he actually walks out of the place he's in, the warehouse where he's tracking down some missing animals – you know, there's all sorts of reporters and everybody waiting because that's the way media works now. So you've got this whole thing of like, can you even be a superhero if you've got people following you around and snapping, you know, Instagram or twit pics or whatever, you know, although I will say, I love that what, what brings him back into action is he decides that he's going to save some missing cats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, he's the animal activist. There's a lot of things that are really interesting and unique about Animal Man that really got lost in Rot World. Just because it was yeah, so mm-hmm. encompassing, we didn't. We sort of lost his story, and now with this one and the previous two issues, we're we're back in it, and it's really interesting. This is what people loved in the first couple of issues of the series. He's a great, unique character. With unique- yeah, thinking back on that first page of you know of Animal Man number one right. in the New Fifty Two. I mean, this is going back there. Yeah, it, I think it's really just the Rot World stuff. Just like got in. Got there in are unique lane. conflicts to Animal Man that don't exist with other heroes, at yeah. least in the way they're written. Yeah. And, and even though you know in reality they probably all would be everyone would be following everybody on Twitter in the superhero world. But anyway, th- there's unique elements to this story and this the way it's done that make it really fun if they when they stick to them. And I'm really I'm really back into this book a lot now. So I really like the last three issues. So if you want to go back and you want to check out Animal Man, you can go to ifanboy.com/amazon to go there and you can pick up the first trade or the second trade if you really want want to be complete about it and it helps us out, it helps the website keep going, helps us keep the lights on, helps pay the bills and we get a little piece of of your transaction doesn't come out of your pocket, comes out of Amazon's pocket, which you know is very, very, very deep. You can pre-order the uh, the Grant Morrison uh, Animal Man Omnibus yes. uh, coming out later this summer. Great series. One of the Do best. that. Plus more money for us, Plus which is George all the George Foreman Grills. We always like to push the George Foreman Grill. <laughs> George not, Foreman not Grills, man. a piece of that, but we do think it's fun. Indoor, outdoor, George Foreman. You can, you can use a George Foreman Grill outside. This and then bring it back inside. All I found by Christmas bonuses will be in the form of George Foreman Grills. Does he have a panini <laughs> press? I think it's he should not, have he should. a panini they press. They should really Those be are huge. at the brand and moving out, branching out to panini presses and all kinds. All, all, waffle anything, irons. Anything you can press on a counter in your kitchen, waffle irons, should really be in the, in the line. But we'll get on that. We'll talk to somebody. We'll send an email out. In the meantime, Captain Marvel 13. My love affair continues with this book, Captain Marvel number 13. Dave, did you read this one? I did. I actually um, picked up the entire Enemy Within storyline so that I could kind of catch up. Is that the first volume or the second volume? 
Well, so so here's the story. Actually, uh, my girlfriend and I were talking about female superheroes the other day, and we realized that you know she didn't really know a lot of the female superheroes out there. So we went into the comic book store and we picked up volume one and two of Captain Marvel. Okay, we're still reading those. So she she I, I haven't read all of that stuff, but because I knew that you wanted to talk about this today, I picked up the the Enemy Within storyline, um, and and sort of jumped ahead a little bit. And so this is just the the Avengers Assemble Captain Marvel crossover book right now. That this current storyline. Yeah, they're you know, bringing so, in the Avengers. And there's you know the, the brood are involved, and there's some Cree the sentries waking up. Yeah, the brood it's scary. There's who, xenomorphs, man. Who is they're, the, they're, who is the artist on this? They're the aliens. This is Scott Hepburn. It looks a lot like Tom Fowler to me. It does look a bit like Tom Fowler. It reminds me a little bit of Ramon Perez. I don't think it's quite as strong as either of those guys. I feel like there's a little inconsistency here and there, but it, this is a person I think to watch. And I, and again, yeah. it's just like this book. I mean, it started off a little bit rough art wise, but like you know, coming with uh, Philippe Andrade and then and this guy, uh, really, just it it just looks different. And yeah. it has it has great voice. She has a great cast of friends, and um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's really refreshing, and it and it picks up yeah. the torch for me for uh, from uh, uh, Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl, and before that, uh, Palmiotti and Gray Power uh, Girl. Power Girl, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely recommend you pick up these books, especially especially volume two of this i think you'd start there and you'd be good uh tell us about revival number 11 dave um yeah you know i'm still reading this book i I kind of flirted with you know is the story going anywhere but uh but it's kind of i think it's getting to a place where the the setting is now kind of taking hold in that it's sort of like a twin peaks thing isn't it i mean it's it's sort of like that you're a big (laughs) twin peaks guy i've just been watching twin peaks again uh, um, nice. You know, as, as Connor knows, uh, the, the importance of rewatching Twin Peaks on a regular basis. And it really was striking me as I was reading this issue how similar it is in that you do have a town where something strange has happened. In this case, these dead people have come back. And it was kind of bothering me a little bit. In the beginning, this was subtitled A Rural Noir. And, and noir mm-hmm. is such a loaded term. And I'm like, yeah. is it really? I, this doesn't feel so noir to me. But now we're getting to a point where you've got like a, a, a group of brothers who are uh, – who have decided that um, the the reviver body parts are very uh, valuable? They're like I think he calls them like tiger penises or something like that. And this, you know, he's like they're they're the kind of uh, exotic delicacy that people need for whatever reason. And so they hatched the scheme to like basically chop up these people and sell their body parts across state lines. And so now I'm getting the the noir vibe. I think it's a big ensemble cast, and sometimes it gets a little confused. But I think you know as the characters sort of interact and move around with each other, it's getting more interesting. But I'm definitely is there a central like, narrative to this, or is it just these characters in this town? It feels like there's this uh, police officer that's sort of the center, but and her sister. There's Dana Cypress and her sister M, who is who was killed early on and is now one of these re- revived people. Um, it seems to focus on the two of them. Um, M is the one that wears the sort of sewn together hoodie with the angel wings on the back. If you guys have seen that image, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a lot of the on the cover images. It seems to be centering around them, but it is very much an ensemble cast. I mean. In in the fact that like Twin Peaks does seem to center on Dale and uh, you know Sheriff Truman, but it, it spends almost as much time on you know like uh, uh, Big Ed and uh, uh, you know like the different characters around Twin Peaks. It it's feels got the, a lot it's like the that. Twin Peaks Northern Exposure kind of vibe to it. The weirdness it does, of it. Yeah. Uh, so all right, I know uh, Connor, you're a big fan of the uh, the volleyball book. This is, this is the sports book. <laughs> this is the sports book. That's right, we always say whenever we mention Mara, uh, Mara Number Five by uh, Brian Wood, uh, Ming Doyle, and Jordan. Jordy Belair on colors. Jordy Belair, big part of this book. Um, I mean, she always brings something with the colors, but with this book in particular, I mean, there's this this 
page with the striking orange uh, that comes out, and it's it's a really kind of a minimalistic look to this book. And mm-hmm. um, this is a really interesting story, especially coming coming away from Man of Steel because it's about <laughs> this is about the this this girl who. Um, has these has these powers basically becoming like a Superman or like a Doctor Manhattan with you know like a just godlike and right. um, her her brother um, is is tortured to death because they're trying to figure out if uh, he might have some of those powers as well and the the whole idea with this book is that the government in this near ish future kind of world uh, wants to use Mara as a pawn. Um, in their negotiations with, you know, other countries, basically their trump card. And they would bring her out and right. say, like, you know, we're going to – she's our WMD, you know, and the other countries would back down. This is where Mara decides she actually renounces her, uh, her citizenship, not just from America like Superman once did, but from humanity. <laughs> and then right. she sends missiles against the earth. <laughs> You know, it's it's a fun take on the Superman myth kind of idea, like you just laid out. I mean, and I think that was really interesting to me that that's where this uh, the pivot point at the end of this book. I guess my only question now, looking back on it, goes back to that sports book idea. Not that it, not that I can get that she's a volleyball star or whatever before she gets her powers, but does it? Does it seem strange to you at all, Paul, that this is a book set in like a near future? Like I don't understand the point of setting it in the near future or into some kind of sci-fi-ish future because it doesn't relate I, yeah, to how she I gets her powers or anything. You know, that's so. a good point. I mean, other than just it's, it's just an interesting setting, it seems like at odds yeah. with the idea of we're going to make her – she's going to be you know, an athlete. It's, it's sort of like you have two different kind of kernels for doing a superhero story differently. And one is she's a sports star and one is it's in the near future. And like it, so, it's just. It could also be that being setting a story in the near future gives you more freedom to stretch things in the future, should you want to, in terms of technology. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, and yeah. and I mean, I'm not, you know, and it's just, it's also just the idea of that volleyball is popular could be. Like <laughs> I I love watching volleyball during the. You have Olympics. to set it in the so near future. I, so I do as well. It's a really fun. I mean, either you know, beach volleyball or indoor volleyball. Listen, I, I, I think love I it. Indoor, I'm just saying, but, I right. really enjoy that. Everyone is mad that this wasn't a sports book. I still love <laughs> Yeah, we're not getting so many of those comments anymore, but like it used to be every single month they'd they'd come out and be like, Where dude, there's not enough sports. I thought it was supposed to be <laughs> I thought it was gonna be like the Matt and Chris or Matt Christopher books or something. I don't know. Is that was when I was in grade in the school. Sixth gun? Maybe maybe it- <laughs> No? The sixth gun, yes. <laughs> I was going to say maybe the fun finale of this involves Ingrid, another volleyball player, swatting the missiles away like a volleyball. I, I don't know. It all comes into play. Six gun number 32, um, for me, I have liked this book for a long time. What I really liked about it, what clicked for me uh, around the second volume of the of the series was that we started to just use all the different sort of old um, mythologies and religions and folklore, uh, you know, that was prevalent in, in the Old West and some even today. And you got to see it play out. So you got like a voodoo uh, series. And, and more recently, we, we've gone into sort of Native American uh, rituals with ghost dancing. And uh, this book has always been sort of like a a supernatural western it's, it's very much like felt like the structure of like a, a a fantasy book you know like a middle earth type of lord of the rings but with guns because it's the old west and here you get in this uh, issue we get the connection between you know the fantasy past and uh uh you know the old west current where we see you know in, in medieval times they would have been six swords uh yeah. you know they're just guns because it's the old west but i i continue to really enjoy this book it's like Valyrian steel or something. I don't know. It's just like there's this this lore to it. So uh, Demeter, Demeter, yes. the third in the Ink and Thunder series, which includes Wolves in the Mire from uh, Becky Cloonan. She wrote 
and drew these. This was available in Comixology this week. This is kind of, you know, that she's doing these cool stories that what was Wolves was about, like like werewolves, but in a different sort of way and sort of like a fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, I guess, is about like a, like a witch. Yeah, she's doing these sort of lush fairy tales. Um, yeah. And I guess... I only half ex- got it. Really? To be honest, I didn't. I didn't entirely follow the twist. I think there's there's a lot of atmosphere in this, and and uh, yeah. you know, I, I think it is very much. I think one of those fairy tales where it's like you lost him to the sea, but I gave him back to you. But really, he's still mine, and you know, it's going to cost you. There's a thing where she's putting drop every year. She has to put like drops of her blood into the ocean. Right. You know, it's so it's 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 like that monkey's paw kind of idea too. Yeah. Where it's like you know, you, you wish for them to come back. You you'll sacrifice anything. You'll make that sort of Faustian deal, and uh, you know, they'll never be completely yours. Um, again, you know, and the, the sea is always calling. And so it's definitely a lot of atmosphere. I like it in that it, her tone in these reminds me a bit of like when she and Brian Wood did demo kind yeah. of crossed with what she did with Brian Wood with Conan, you know, it's sort of that medieval fantasy fairy tale setting. But I love that this is a 99 cent book that you can get digitally. And it's a complete, uh, it feels to me like a very robust tale, like as, as, as solid as anything else you'd get from any of the major companies. So I really enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice looking. It's, it's, you know, kind of, it's a, it's a bit melodramatic. It, it's like a bit Anne Rice fairy tale kind of thing, you know, um, yeah, a little yeah. bit like that, but, um, but I think it's fitting for the fairy tale nature of it. I don't know. But yeah. I very spooky, very evocative. I, I really liked wolves. Um, that I think yes. I prefer that one over, over this, but, uh, really good stuff. Yeah. So those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. As you may have uh, gathered, I've read very little books this week. GetIFM.com slash comics. You can make your own pull list. You can rate and review your books. And you can also choose your own pick of the week. And we like to run down the top five picks of the week that's chosen by the audience at the time of recording. And the top five books are thus. Number five, The X-Files, season 10, number one, with 9.6% of the votes. Number four was Indestructible Hulk, number nine, 14.7% of the votes. Number three, Liberator, number one, with 14.8% of the votes, just eking out past... Incredible Hulk. Number two, Uncanny Avengers, number nine, 20.3%. And number one, Wonder Woman 21 with 23.3%. A nice, nice, pretty even spread there amongst the top five in terms of votes. How cool is it to see? I mean, like the top top hold books this week were mostly like Avengers stuff. It was like Age of Ultron Mm -hmm. and three Avengers books. How cool is it to see? No, 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 (laughs) no. Uncanny Avengers was the top hold book. Yeah, but that has Avengers in the name. Yeah, but not Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron is not the top hold book. I didn't say it was one of them. Listen, it's Age Paul, of Ultron and three Avengers books. Give me this moment. <laughs> I'm just saying it's cool to see Wonder Woman at yes. the number one spot. I just had no idea that there was a new X Files book. And is this actually a new season? Is that what they're it's, uh, from? IDW. Isn't it by uh, Chris Carter? Chris Carter is, is it? plotting it oh, wow. with another okay. you know, Wow. I didn't even realize. It like Joss Whedon does with his Buffy books. Got it. Got it. It's, That's the new thing. The I new read thing. an X Files novel. Only 10 years after the season end, show ended, or whatever that show ended. <laughs> Uh, what if we did a new Twin Peaks season in comics? I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I, just, I, don't want. <laughs> I don't think I do. Let's either. read a couple of user reviews. We're going to do something different this time. We're going to present uh, opposing opinions on one book with these user reviews. So, Dave, take away the first one. All right. So this is from – well, it's either from a guy named Levi Takis or it, maybe it's like Leviticus. But it's spelled like if he was born in Levi, Jack. Leviticus, I think. I think we just summoned <laughs> I something. I, yeah, I think <laughs> – Anyway, so of Age of Ultron number 10, he gives the story a 1 out of 5, the art a 3 out of 5, and his review is, Wow, it takes a lot to offend me in comics, but this is close to number 1. 
I'll keep my review brief. All nine issues before this did not matter. The only things that matter are the ramifications, the last five or so pages. Slight spoilers without any actual spoilers. A time loop is closed that keeps everything you've read from happening mattering. Then something matters that actually happens. Can I get a time loop to go back and keep my past self from wasting $40? <laughs> and the uh, pick loop percentage of this book is 0.1. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. That's sure. all right. Always forget something. Okay, so BC1 uh, says of Age of Ultron, which he gave a 4 out of 5 for story and 5 out of 5 for art. So a little bit different. Pretty much plays out as we expected to a point. Yes, everything is fixed and the method makes logical sense in the context of the story, but it seems that there's been one trip through the time stream or across the dimensional barriers too many. Just a few things that you'll see. House of M, Kill Raven, Squadron Supreme, 2099, Spider-Girl, Avengers Next, and events from all new X-Men and Uncanny Avengers. Uh, there's another one, but I'll let readers see that one for themselves. It's Angela he's talking about. No, it's, uh, it's Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, all right. Okay, you'll, you'll either love it or hate it. Um, overall, a good end to the series and an interesting setup for the future. And even if uh, his page makes no sense, it's always good to see Casada back at the drawing table again. If you want to see how the series ends, I'd check it out, but it's not a must-have comic by any means. Yeah, I guess that makes more sense. That it would be. I, I, the <laughs> thing is, I just thought that was kind of arbitrary, Galactus meeting Miles Morales. Well, because... no, let's talk about the big twist. I mean, Paul and I, I think... We, we talked about it in the show. We both read the first couple of issues. We all we quickly dropped off because it was clearly not a compelling story for, for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I heard this, you know, the big things were happening in this issue. So I, I, I read this one and Paul did as well. And the big thing that happened in this issue was that, as BC1 said, that there's one too many trips to the time stream. It's broken the time stream. So all these different Marvel realities are sort of crossing over. And that's how the story ends. With, mm-hmm. You've got Galactus from the Marvel Universe showing up in the Ultimate Universe against Miles Morales. You've got the 2099 Spider-Man. You've got Squadron Supreme. You've got all these different strands sort of connecting the ramifications of which we don't know. The big twist, which they spoiled three months ago, was that Angela shows up at the end, who isn't even really from a Marvel Universe, but whatever. So she shows up at the end. <laughs> she's um, pissed. And she's pissed. She does not want to be there. <laughs> so it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of rumors that this is going to signal the end of the Ultimate line, which... Right. I don't know why you would do that it, if, it, if the books make money, but people are saying they're going to well, fold the characters into the Marvel Universe and have them be there as well, and that seems weird to me also, but at this point, anything's possible. Th- there is something weird with this, and I don't know if you guys felt this at all, but for me, kind of pre-crisis DC multiverse, you always felt like they were, you know, these other Earth-1, Earth-2, all these different Earths, they were each their own equal thing, maybe because, you know, the way they were created. With Marvel, I always felt like that the alternate worlds were always kind of in service to the story, uh, for the most part, in, in the old days, you know, and so even if you had like a, you know, the terminology of a 616 or whatever, that was just because you're telling a Captain Britain story about all these alternate Earths. And so even when like the Ultimate books came out, I felt like, okay, does this, everyone was thinking like, is this going to be like a multiverse kind of thing? But it seemed like marketing wise, they were really trying to keep it separate. Now I feel like they're kind of, do you guys, do you feel like this is a shift into sort of a Marvel multiverse where they can have these multiple Earths, sort of a pre-crisis DC universe? Well, they did, I mean, they opened the door to that with the Spider-Man book. Right. Well, well yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, right, right, right. But this seems to be like the big cement of like, okay, now we're going to keep crossing over. It's not just a one-off just thing. Like the you know? crisis where they, you know, crisis, yeah. crisis closed the loop and this opened the loop. Uh, that, that's what I mean. Is this Listen, like isn't the, the weird thing? Isn't the weird thing with this that it was like they felt it was murky with all the different worlds and stuff and now it's murkier? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
like because everything's all mixed up and stuff. It's just it's it's odd. And I, the, the problem with this book is that like walking away from it, all people are talking about and all I'm thinking about is how it ended in terms of what are they going to do uh, publishing wise and what's going to happen with these, you know, the continuity. And it's not a story ending. It's, you know. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that always a publishing catalog when, no. when the series seems like it's a, it, it's all set, it's all set up to just change the status quo. That bugs me. And it sounds like this story itself was not compelling on its own, which is a problem. And I, don't, I, I just don't see Mar- Marvel's having such success right now. I don't really see them blowing up their status quo. I just really can't see it. You know, hmm. I mean, yeah, all, all those Marvel Now books are so successful, you know, money wise and story wise. You know, they're the, clearly the best books being put out right now in aggregate. That I just really can't see them blowing up and dropping Miles Morales into the Spider Man's superior Spider Man world. I can't see it. It could happen. Right. I, would, I would not right. be surprised, but I also would would be would be a little would be a little surprised. I just wouldn't be surprised if there's more of like just crossing over between more often, you know, yeah. like the way the Justice League and Justice Society used to meet every year or whatever. I wonder if they're going to end up doing something like the, that. The thing you described is. You know, they're separate worlds, but they are also the same world, you know? Yeah. Like, there's an Earth 1 and an Earth 2, but they exist together and they're constantly crossing over. Whereas Ultimate yeah. Universe and Marvel Universe and 299 Universe and all these different other worlds are ostensibly part of the Marvel Universe multiverse, which exists, but they don't ever really interact. So they feel separate. Right. They, they forgot. didn't. <laughs> yeah. They, for, they forgot. We'll see. They for, they forgot two pages in this book. At the end of it, it should have been you should have been an all like an all black you know page with just a little slit of light looking through and an eye and a gasp. And then the next page, and it's Wanda Maximoff holding her closet door shut because what she's just seen. <laughs> that's what's in the perfect. Closet. Nice, perfect, nice. <laughs> so you go to fanwire.com slash comics. You can make your own pull list. You can rate and review books. And if you write a good review, we get it on the show. Let's do a couple of audience questions. The first one comes from Damien from Parts Unknown. And Damien writes and says, I got the Marvel character guide as a Saturnalia present. What is that? This is an old email. <laughs> I have not gotten my know. Saturnalia presents lately, by the way. And I'm flipping through it, nerding out over the semi-arbitrary numerical rankings for whom is stronger than whom and so forth. No way is Hawkeye just as smart as the Beast. Does that say that? That's crazy. Wow. I got thinking He's about got ca- street smarts. I got, that's true. I got thinking about canon a bit. I was wondering about what writers' takes on characters you might like or dislike most because how much a change of pace they were from the co- conventional, ca- canonical take on the character. So who's, whose versions of a character have you disliked because it's such a different version? Well, if we can count modern blockbuster films, I or know like, you could say like. <laughs> my my answer is everyone <laughs> writing Superman right now up to and including David Goyer. <laughs> right is well, with Jeff Parker <laughs> no that's not I, that, yeah that book's fine but the other okay um, I thought it was I thought it was really weird when uh, when Frank Miller did his Tintin book I was just not feeling it whatsoever I, I, think, I think the I, one right now that's most impo- the biggest one is Hawkeye I think I think that Fractions Hawkeye has been so different from from the Hawkeye we've seen before that it's but it's really worked yeah that, that's an example where it really works yeah, yeah. I remember historically, I'm going to date myself here, but like as a kid, uh, when Longshot, the Anne Nascenti Art Adams series came out, I thought that was the coolest character. Then I remember Chris Claremont bringing him into X-Men, you know, in like the late 80s. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I can't wait. I love that character. And I felt like he never got the voice right. For me, it's not like canon stuff. It's it's like tone and voice. You know what I mean? Separating between the version being different and just the writing being bad. Well, okay, that could be a point too. You know, well, okay, that, so for that could, for one, that could result in their tone being different. You know? For for one that I really like, you know, like like Brew Baker and Darwin Cook on Catwoman, right. like there's 
other Catwoman stories are not necessarily like that. Um, wow. They might retain afterwards. They might retain some of that character, some of that flair, but um, it just doesn't feel the same. It's not that same aesthetic, and you know, it's it's like filmic almost. I'm not talking about like widescreen things. I'm talking about like it's you know it's like an old Rat Pack movie, you know? right? Cinematic. Right. Similar to me, um, because I cut my teeth on the Denny O'Neill the question. I think Greg Rucka is the only other person that's been able to write a question that evoked that same feeling that I got from that one. I haven't liked any other takes on it because that was the first one. So you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I. I yeah. It's. It's. I. T- I tend to think of more of the versions I've liked that are different. Right. Um, <laughs> It's tough. That's, I think, how, that's how we cope. We, I, I think <laughs> that you know, often you get that in team books where some, uh, you get a very specific voice in a, for a character in a solo book, and then they show up in a team book, and they just it's different. They're not you know the you know Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Wonder Woman in her solo book is very different from Wonder Woman in Justice League, and that's just always the way. It's, when when I read Justice League, you know the Giffen McGuire era, those versions of the characters were different than their solo versions. Very different. Batman was no very different. Batman was it's not a- anything like the one that appeared in Detective Comics. It's just that's just yeah. the, the way it goes. So. This Yet is somehow a, we we're okay with it. <laughs> this is a, this is a smaller example, but like uh, you know that I, I posted on the site that that cover image of the most recent uh, Superboy with, uh, yes. with crypto on it, crypto. and mm. it looks like I don't know what like a feral you know he's like a saber toothed tiger kind of thing, and then side by side with what Francis Manipal and Jeff Johns were doing on uh, Adventure Comics. That's like you know, it's it's not just a stylistic difference; it's a you know a temperament. You can say a lot of the New Fifty Two characterizations. Yeah, this category, a category of disliking the change. Yeah, let's move on to Andy from Cincinnati who says, "I have a very simple question: Why is it so difficult to tell good Superman stories?" Oh boy, Andy from Cincinnati <laughs> is wrong and right at the same time. <laughs> I don't think it's difficult. I think the weight of the icon is di- the difficult part of it. I think th- I think that's the problem. I agree. You know what I mean? He's, he's Superman. He's the first superhero. Yeah. He's the face of a company. He's, he's the face of DC Comics. And even if Batman's more popular, he's still the face. So there's more, there's more pressure. There's more The, the, the pressure is there not to, not to do anything interesting with him. Which is why, okay. for years, the most interesting stuff was the Elseworlds Superman stuff. Or the self-contained, you know, the secret identities, your Red Sons. Those are the interesting things because they could say, it's not really Superman that this is happening to. You know what I mean? There's that separation between the characters. So... Connor, you read a bunch of the Superman in the 90s, right? The death of Superman and all that. You were a regular reader at that time. So was I. Do you think that those, all those stories like killing him, bringing him back, marrying him to Lois, all these different things that they did as sort of like a serial soap opera type of thing, are those, were those didn't work for the character or do you think they were just poorly written but they they could have worked? I think they didn't, they didn't. I think those particularly didn't work. Um, Although as a kid, you know, I was 13, I freaking loved Death Superman. (laughs) Right. It was awesome. (laughs) As a, as a teenager, but as an you know, adult, I have a different opinion on it. But I always didn't like yeah. the marriage for the same reason I didn't like the Spider-Man marriage. But um, I think I felt like, for me, those, like, I, I liked them at the time, but I, I didn't last with them for extremely long periods of time because I felt like over time, uh, you, you, there wasn't so much you could do with Superman. And I think that's a tough thing. We, we talked about it on the Fuzzy Typewriter podcast when we were talking about the Man of Steel movie. And, you know, it really, to me, it struck me that what appeals to me most about Superman was the myth and almost how he's seen by other characters. And so I feel like short-form stories often work best because they illustrate that sort of ideal of the character um, or, or, you know, he, that he is that thing we all want to be. And so that works best in like a short form. I don't know. Here's what I think. I think that Superman is very similar to the Fantastic Four. 
in that for years, the idea that it was the Fantastic Four are out of time. They weren't a modern conceit. You know, the modern audience would never accept them. They're too hokey, which is basically what you, people, most people say about Superman. It took Jonathan Hickman to say, no, the characters aren't the problem. It's just the stories are the problem. And so he told a great kick-ass Fantastic Four story in a modern way, but using mm-hmm. the characters in a very true sense. And it was a very popular book, again, because, he, you know, I think ultimately in the day it comes down to just telling good stories and not getting wrapped up in the worry about the myth or the weight of the icon or, the, or whether or not modern audiences will tell, you know, modern audiences will respond to a good Superman story. Yeah. It's just that I th- they don't get told for whatever million, million corporate reasons, I think. I, I, yeah. I got to feel like that's, that's got to be it because a good story is a good story think, is a good story. I think origin stories for Superman especially are kind of most common because I think in a way, like to what you're saying, they're the easiest mm-hmm. to tell. It's easiest to get right or to take a new spin on it slightly or whatever. Um, I think in the long run, yeah, you kind of have to keep throwing – problems at your hero but he's the hero that can sort of beat everything and you know you got to figure out how to uh um you know how to make that all work uh and if you have like if you attack him if you attack his friends and family and something or or attack him in a way where he can't really like punch his way out of it it, you know maybe people can't uh, that isn't satisfying enough i don't know i think it's a tricky thing he's a tricky character to do i think they hang they hang things on him that are just superficial well we'll make him a blogger Mm -hmm. now that'll make people relate to him and it's it's like no, right. just, just tell a good Superman story. You know, yeah. t- also Superman was a great Superman story. They didn't change anything, didn't alter the mythos to make him more modern or hip. They just told a good Superman story. And I think that's been the biggest problem. And I think, you know, talking about the idea that you can't, you, you can't put him into situations that are too, too uh, modern. It's uh, with, with the Jeff Parker and Chris Somney story, I mean, he's dealing with a, a heroin junkie who's getting particularly manic and, and, and it's, you know, giving him superpowers. It's the modern world and it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a modern conceit, but, you know, he's not dealing with a guy who's a, a, an apple pie junkie or something, you know, right. but then, mm-hmm. but then Superman himself just you know he embodies the you know the virtues that you know of superman and i think when you know when the when the question came up can you do a superman movie that's like pg-13 is that too much i think you can do a superman movie that's pg-13 as long as superman's goal is to make you know help the world be a little bit more g or pg from that (laughs) pg-13 you know it's like he's 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 working towards that and if everyone else is working more towards an R, that's okay as long as Superman is, you know, headed in, in that other direction. Um, At one point, 10 million people watched Smallville a week. So clearly, it's not the idea that the, the audience isn't, you know, he's not modern enough for the audience. Yeah. It's just that you have to tell a story that people respond to. And people are responding to the movie. So, I mean, you can tell whether true. or not you agree it's a good story or not. I mean, people are responding to it. I just think that the quality of the story is really Superman's problem and not the character. Yeah, and I and I like that. I like that we're talking about Superman. I like that. That's that's a big conversation, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's very clear that people take it very you know personally, and that's another reason why it might be hard to write a Superman story because we each have a maybe different idea of what Superman is. It's not we're all just saying. There's not just a bunch of us that are like I want the right. you know the Richard Donner Superman. I want that. It's it's or even the you know the George Reeves, the Christopher Reeves you know Superman. Like it's not that. It's we each have a different idea of what those things represent. I think I think more mm-hmm. so than any other superhero, he is a cultural icon, and mm-hmm. that means people take, I it, agree. Very, yeah. take it very personally. Yeah. Not even Batman. I don't, Bat, the Bat, I don't, people don't even take Batman as personally as they take Superman for it's for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's just because we wait he represents, but. 
I mean, Batman's more popular, but I think Superman is more personal mm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Let's do one more quick one. Uh, uh, where did I lose my place? Oh, here we go. James, also from Parts Unknown, says, My wife and I are expecting our first child in December. As we are going through names for the child, I am constantly thinking of which superhero any given name relates to. What are your thoughts on specifically naming a child after a fictional superhero or specifically avoiding a name because of said superhero? Or should I just buck convention altogether and name the child Goat Pervader after the original drummer in the awesome black metal band Gorgoroth? Definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> do that. Yeah. Um, I think you, you guys kind of answered this in your uh, secret identity uh, conversation, right? Uh, about naming your kid Clark Kent. Yeah, don't 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 name your kid Clark Kent. That's you know, don't do that. I don't know. My rule, my rule for children's names are always: what does it rhyme with, and can they make fun of you for it? <laughs> well, Dave, you have a son. What did you name him? <laughs> my son is named Jack, and uh, named him uh, after Jack I, Bauer. I, I am a big fan of the Jack Knight Starman, and so occasionally people will wonder if you know who's named after that. A little bit. His full name is Jackson, uh, and and so a, a lot went into that name. But I would be. I'd have to admit to you guys that maybe a little bit of my my love of like characters named Jack, like Jack Knight. This was before Jack Bauer, Jack's so I can't. Jack's a good name. Jack's like a good. Yeah. Solid Jack's a good name, and it's and it can mean different things. And it's like yeah. it. I think it, it. I think you know. Don't name your kid Cal L. You know, <laughs> because that's like a very specific thing. Superman. You know that it could Cal, only right? be that. Um, like I secretly, but Nick Cage named his son Cal L. <laughs> that's a thing yeah, that actually yeah. happened. Yeah. So. On the other hand, you have Josh, who did not name his son after Green Arrow, yet did name his son after Green Arrow, and I don't know <laughs> how he didn't see that coming. But uh, it's a great name. It's a, it's it's a, a great a, name. I'm just saying. I really love that name. If he wasn't a member of iFanboy, it probably wouldn't have been an issue. You might want to give it a second check because <laughs> yeah, people are going right. to assume. Why did he name his son this after Green Arrow? Thing. That's weird. He doesn't even like Green Arrow. <laughs> it's like you know, pick a name. You know, first off, pick you know whatever name you know you want. Like you know, it's your kid, but. Consider the fact that, you know, there's certain names that are like a brand on the kid's forehead. And then there are other names that are sort of like, you, you know, and that's okay that just, just you know how, how special that is. Like and you can talk about that if you want. Paul's but, a good name. Paul's a good solid name. Are there any superheroes with a... My, my, full, my name means uh, uh, small man from the big mountain. <laughs> hmm. But you're a very tall man, though. I'm just six foot. I'm not. All I know is that if I name my next child Katar, it's not going to be any different than, than some of the other names in the preschools right now. That's all I'm That's saying. True. That's, That's true. That's true. <laughs> true. You can email us at contact.ifanboy.com or call our voicemail line at 888-FANBOYS-326-2697. Tell us your name and tell us where you're from and uh, give us a good question. We'll keep the voicemails around 30 seconds and uh, hopefully you can get, us, get a good question on the show. Let's talk about some other shows we've got going on. As Paul mentioned, we saw a Man of Steel. All of us all had very different reactions to it. We did a Man of Steel podcast, me and Josh Flanagan and Mike Romo talking about the movie. I think that from talking to them individually, our opinions have changed slightly since we've recorded the show. <laughs> In some cases, It was a good show, though. It was a very good show. It was a very good show. And you well, talked you. about some things I hadn't considered, but uh, yeah, I got a very sad email from Mike Romo. Oh. <laughs> um, I, after seeing it again with him later that, that evening we, and having a long discussion in, in the lobby of the theater at about two in the morning, as they were trying <laughs> to usher us out onto Sunset Boulevard, we, uh, we had some, some alterations, but some, it's mostly the same, but with some caveats. So that, if, you, if you saw Man of Steel, and as everyone seems to have, and you have some thoughts on it, or you want to hear some more thoughts on it, listen to the Special Edition podcast on Man of Steel. 
It's a great time to jump in also on the uh, Man of Steel spoiler-free uh, review because there's only 500 comments under there. It's fine. You can just <laughs> wade right in. Also, you can hear Paul and Dave talk about it. And where can you hear Yeah, that? we did uh, our fuzzy typewriter show. We, t- we took a little break. We've been talking about the Rocky movies because I hadn't seen them before. So we've been working our way through those. Just a slight intermission to talk because we've got to talk about Man of Steel. So mm-hmm. the episode is called uh, Superman, Man of Steel. It's over on uh, – you just you can just type in fuzzytypewriter.com. It's four hours long, It's <laughs> – but the it's thing is, it's not just about Man of Steel. We talk no. about Superman in general in all different media. You talk about some of the movies. We talk about the comics. And we don't talk about the radio show as much as I would have liked. But we talk about Superman and what it means to us. And then, and Dave had a special hairbrush. Um, and then we've I've actually <laughs> heard was. from other people who have that hairbrush. And that brought up great memories for them. Really? Um, so, yeah. So, uh, we'll talk about that later. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so we talk about Superman and Man of Steel for two hours and like 44 minutes. So, you can listen to a little bit of it on the bus, you know, you know. On your commute, it'll take you through a week. So uh, I hope you dig that. Let's keep talking about Superman. Let's keep talking about that. We are going to because we've got a book explode. We're going to be talking about Superman Birthright by Mark Wade and uh, Laniel Francis Yu, which is one of the origin stories of Superman. And one of the sort of minor influences in the film. You can definitely see it in there mm-hmm. when you read the book. So me and Paul and Mike Romo will be talking about that book, and that'll be coming at you sometime this week. Yeah. In the meantime, go to ifanboy.com. You can read Paul's Pick of the Week review, and you can read, who, is it still my Book of the Month up there? My Book of the Month review, as well as all the great discussion topics, columns, news stories, everything that's happening in comics is happening at fanboy.com. And you can go to fanboy.com slash about to see the social network pages for all the staff members. You can be our friend online and follow all the action at twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy. And you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com and leave a voicemail or leave a voicemail at 188-FANBOYS. That's 326-2697. With any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, baby names, or Saturnalia gift-giving suggestions. What is that? When is that? Look that up, Dave. Look that up. It's like an ancient Roman uh, festival. Yeah, that sounds right. It's like around Christmas. uh, You know, might might have influenced Christmas or something. That's a Doctor Who thing. If you dig us, write us a review in iTunes or better yet, tell your friends about us. Introduce your mom to podcast. Spread the iFanboy word. And uh, that is it for this week's show. Thank you, Dave, for stopping by. We really appreciate it. We had fun. Thanks so much, man. This has been great. And if Josh doesn't come back, which he might not... (laughs) <laughs> he joined a biker gang he joined a biker Josh gang did. and he might just never come back so we'll, hopefully we'll see by next week we'll find out if Josh has returned until then I'm Connor I'm Paul and I'm Dave what the of spring